Welcome back, good people of Europe. So today we actually have a pretty cool interview. We're interviewing Armenta's dad and the reasons why he moved out to Andorra to avoid paying taxes. A legal matter. In essence, he got himself a fairly large chunk of money, but wanted to avoid paying an insane amount of taxes in his home country. So research places to go and ended up deciding to go to Andorra because of a lot of different reasons. Um, partly family, partly tax, partly language and culture. And he's gonna walk us through that entire process and the reasons behind it. We were both pretty excited, Armin, and me to interview Jock, her father. So we hope you enjoyed this. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Armin, and Matthias. Hello everyone, so today we have a very exciting episode. I am interviewing, well, me and, and Alvar obviously, are interviewing my father, Jock, who is uh, here right now. It's Christmas Day here. We're going to start off like we start off any to interview my dad, who has a lot of experience in the whole European tax shelter world and has experience with it himself. So I thought it would be interesting and, and the listeners could, could learn something from it. So I thought it'd be interesting to interview my dad, Jock. So with me today, I've got my amazing co-host, Alvar. Hello, Alvar. Hey, Armin and Chuck. Great to be here. And obviously, my dad. Yeah, yeah. Good afternoon. Good evening. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to start off like we start off any other episode, which is really asking you who you are. Uh, tell us a bit of a background, like uh, where you're from, how old you are, and what you're doing at the moment. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah, well, I'm Scott from the north of Scotland. I'm 80 years old this year, and in the past, I have been a veterinary surgeon and a businessman, and in the course of both of these, started two businesses from scratch. One was a veterinary practice, and the other was a computer software business for veterinary practitioners. Cool. And what are you doing right now? Where are you? And now, at this advanced age, of decrepitude, I'm more or less uh, retired. I probably claim that I'm not retired and, and, in fact, claim that I never will. But I think, in effect, in practical terms, I am retired. But doesn't mean I haven't got plenty of things to do, which I, which I get on with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And you're currently living in uh, France, correct? So at the moment, I live most of the time in France because it's expedient to do so, although I'm officially resident in Andorra, where I have what's called passive residence. Uh-huh. Very interesting. So this is really what we're, we want to talk about today on this, uh, on this episode is Andorra. In 2006, you know, we moved to Andorra, and obviously I was part of that, since uh, I am the child here. And I didn't really think much about it until I started this podcast, and I realized, actually, you know, that this, there was an entire strategy behind moving from the UK to Andorra. And uh, so this, this today, what we're going to really talk about is how you did this, why. Could you tell us a bit why Andorra? Why is it so special? Well, at that point, which was 2006, I had realised certain uh, assets and was concerned uh, to protect or shelter these for the benefit of my family and in particular, uh, against inheritance tax, which 
in the UK at that time, and still is for the moment, ran at uh, 40% of one's estate with, at that time, a very low threshold. So there was a very low allowance and an absolutely colossal, in fact, punitive level of taxation. I had sold my business, so as I say, I had realized my assets and was therefore, at that time, in a position to move. Yeah. And uh, having researched all sorts of different places that one might go to really quite exhaustively over a period of years, we decided that Andorra was best for a number of reasons which we will itemize in due course. However, the primary reason it has to be said was one of taxation because at that time in Andorra, not only was there no inheritance tax, but there was no income tax and there was no capital gains tax. Now, I had cash assets, but I also had investments, which in due course would generate dividends, therefore income. And of course, like any stocks and shares, one might buy and sell, and one would hope that from time to time there would be gains. And while anywhere else, virtually anywhere else in Europe, not quite anywhere else, but almost anywhere else in Europe, these gains would be taxed and quite uh, harshly in some regimes. There was no capital gains tax in Andorra. Now, you will realize that this, of course, was an extremely attractive proposition. But there were other reasons, which were family reasons. Araminta's mother was, or is, of course, (laughs) half French and half Spanish, and her parents lived both in Spain and in France. And since her mother had been living in, in Edinburgh for something like 10 years, they had thought they had lost their daughter. And I thought that it would probably be quite a nice idea to go to Andorra, where she would be within two or three hours driving distance of both residences. Uh, yeah, just, I don't think we've clarified it for the listeners. Where exactly is Andorra again? Yes, we should be clear about that. It's actually right on the border of France and Spain in the Pyrenees, about about 250 or so kilometres in from the Mediterranean coast from Perpignan. So from the east end, it's, it's almost just towards the east end of the Pyrenees. But, but of course, the relevance was that it so happened that it wasn't far from the Spanish house and it wasn't far from the French house. By that, I mean two or three hours drive, but that was really nothing compared with getting from Edinburgh. And then on top of that, we had found an international college. So the children were at that time, I remember it was 10, Struan was, her brother Struan was eight. And so we found what what we thought at the time certainly was a very nice school, which was not far away, Andorra being a small place, nowhere is very far away. And so the whole idea really was almost a win-win-win situation. There was almost not a downside to it, quite apart from the fact that we liked the, the countryside there. Andorra is not an exciting place. But it has mountains, it has wonderful scenery and walks and so on, and really not too bad skiing, pretty good skiing, in fact. So I think really everybody was, was happy mm-hmm. with the move. 
Hi, Joke. I found this really interesting, the, the combination of trying to save on taxes, but at the same time also making a lifestyle choice in terms of moving over and like that comparison. And what for us is really interesting because th- this whole podcast is about how do you become financially independent? How do you have options in life? What are the best and most efficient ways of organizing your life? And um, you all the way back in 2006 have already pulled something off that's pretty intense. I uh, was really wondering about how did you perform the research? Because obviously in 2006, we didn't have the insane internet options we have available right now. Did you go to like accountants and consultants and let them do all the work? Or did you research it all yourself in a library? Well, that's quite a good question. And I'm just trying to remember. There was a chap, I think, who was American, who was publishing books about the various places in Europe, which were not tax havens as such, but were sort of enclave, if you like. There were places where the tax regime was different to, say, the host country. So these these might be in Italy or they might be in, in Spain or wherever. And included in his publications was a lot of detail about Andorra. Then we had made, on, a, on a, an exploratory visit, quite some years before to Andorra, we had made a very good contact with a local chap who was in finance. And uh, he was really a wonderful source of information. And I must have sought information in one way or another in newspapers and magazines, financial magazines and journals of the time. But I remember that we spent an immense amount of time on it. I mean, it took fully two or three years to make the decision. I had previously looked at sheltering these resources with an offshore trust, perfectly legal, on behalf of the family, until, as so often happens, the then Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK changed the rules. And so, again, about two years, <laughs> two years of work spent devising that trust was completely lost, wasted. And because that then made it perfectly clear there was probably no point in pursuing some sort of device that, that in the UK. It had to be outside the UK. And so that meant that the research on places like Andorra and otherwise were redoubled. We looked at Monaco, which was also in the running, but too too expensive. And I think we looked at San Marino and various other ones. But in the end, for the reasons that I've already said, Andorra seemed to fit the bill better than anything else. And it had an additional advantage of which I was conscious at the time, and that was that uh, I would be moving Araminta and her brother into what you might call a multilingual society, where I knew perfectly well at their age they would immediately learn, uh, they could already speak French, but they would immediately learn Spanish and Catalan, which, of course, they did in simply no time at all. And so by the time they were about two years older, they were already speaking fluently four languages. Now, I I reckon that this was an important asset. Mm. And I suppose if if, if nothing came positive of the Andorra move, that was 
something that really did work and has had positive benefits and will have. Yeah, it's very interesting uh, to to hear it from the point of my father. Obviously, uh, from my perspective, it's it's a complete, I mean, it's my life. It's a complete different story. And I I didn't really realize the benefits of moving to Andorra until much later. And I, I mean, this has been all I've known. So for me, I haven't really thought about it until I arrived into this this financial independence world and realized that actually what you did was completely something very clever to do in, in the FI community and it's the right mentality to have and, and I've been able to live it, which is pretty interesting. And it's probably what has inspired me mm-hmm. to do all these crazy things that I'm doing at the moment. So it's, it's really cool. I actually have one question for you, Araminta. Okay. What is the vel- value of those four languages for you been in the last years and what value do you see for it like in the coming years? Like how much is it worth to you? How much is it going to change your life? Wow, well, these, these four languages, obviously, I don't think anyone can say that they're anything but an asset. First of all, I know that I, for example, will always have a job because I can always translate these languages. And this has helped me when I was younger. Uh, it's allowed me to think in different languages, which is pretty crazy. It allows you to have tons of different perspectives on one single subject that allows you to be much more of a critical thinker. Uh, it's allowed me to make friends from way more different cultures. It's allowed me to, you know, have something to put on my CV. Uh, it's allowed me like so many things. And even Alvar, you know this, speaking uh, three languages. So don't get started on me. I know you speak uh, German, Dutch and English and a little bit of French. Je ne sais pas, je ne sais pas. What is it that you say again? Je ne sais pas, je ne comprends pas. Uh, <laughs> pas je ne comprends pas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, you can't say it. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, we, I think everyone agrees that speaking several languages is amazing. And if you can bring your children up in a way that they learn several languages, then then do it. And Andorra has that amazing feature. Uh, we're not going to get into too much detail, but I went to a Spanish school and then I went to a French school in Andorra where everyone there spoke at least three languages. So really crazy. I wanted to move on to the, the process of moving to Andorra. How was it financially, emotionally even, uh, was it easy to move to Andorra? Was it like moving all this? M- I mean, I don't know if you exactly moved money or or assets, but how did it look like from a financial perspective? Well, it was extremely simple. It was actually very easy. It, it, in fact, in every respect, it was easy. But um, to answer the first bit of your question, financially, it was simply a matter of transferring the assets to uh, well, the, the assets at that time were mostly liquid, which, of course, was a great help, I have to say. So it was simply a matter of transferring from one bank, bank account to another. And that, uh, as it happened, was seamless. As far as stocks and shares were concerned, well, that didn't matter because they would stay wherever they were. As far as the logistics were concerned, really, it was extremely simple. It was very easy to, at that time, and still is, I think, to rent houses in Andorra, and it was actually very expedient to do so because the relationship between renting and buying was extremely wide. It was much cheaper to rent than to buy, and of course, much less risky. And in the end, I never did buy a house, and mm. about, and I'm really rather glad I didn't. Uh, so we just moved all our stuff there. We already arranged for the children to go to the school. And I think we moved in the summer. So, yes, so they went to the school in September, started the new term. And it was really pretty painless, actually. It was all done very quickly and smoothly. 
So, Chuck, but I also am curious about so moving your assets out of the UK towards Andorra. Lots of countries have exit taxes and fees if you move large sums out of the country and other countries have other barriers set up if you move large amounts of cash in they might tax you or um, make it hard. You've already explained to us that it was actually fairly easy to just transfer the money over. But I'm curious from like a taxation perspective, so what was the actual like the difference between the UK and Andorra? Like, because you mentioned 40% inheritance tax in the UK and nothing at all in Andorra. Uh, but could you maybe like also explain a little bit like around like the um, capital gains, the income tax? Like there was, yeah, explain a, bit, a little bit around that. Yes. Well, uh, th- this was 2006, we have to remember, which is not that long ago, but quite long enough ago for lots of things to have changed, both in the UK and in Andorra, and in the rest of Europe for that matter, as far as taxation is concerned. Now, at that time, there was, provided you were either a passive resident or in the process of becoming one, which was our case, which is not something you can do in five minutes, it takes a while, but while you were in the process of doing it, Uh, you, of course, could open a bank account. Now, all that was required, as far as the liquid assets were concerned, was simply to transfer them from one account to another. And that could have been tricky even then, because things weren't as smooth running as they are today. But in fact, for me, on that particular occasion, it worked wonderfully well. It just couldn't have been better. It was the simplest thing in the world, where the money just left one bank and arrived in the other bank a day or two later. Now, at that time, Andorra had no, there were no penalties or taxes or any charges of any kind for doing this. Your money arrived in a, in a bank, it was transferred into euros, and there it was. And then you could then do whatever you wanted with it, which is, which is what we did. At that time, as I said a minute or two ago, there was, and still for this for the moment, but I think this will change in Andorra, I'm sorry to say, but at that time there was no capital gains. In fact, or income tax, in fact, taxation, as you understand it, Alvar, in Holland, in, in the Netherlands, and in the UK and everywhere else, more or less, France and Spain and so on, the extensive tax system, complicated as well, extremely complicated tax system, simply did not exist. There wasn't even VAT. There was nothing. There was no taxation whatsoever. The only tax that was levied was an import tax, which was levied on those people, which were virtually all businesses that were selling things in Andorra, had to pay an import tax, which was really quite low. It might have been less than 2%, but something round about that. But of course, that was not a personal tax. It it was an indirect tax, if you like. So you had to pay a little bit more for your apples and your this, that, and the next thing that you were buying, all your food, everything. Because interestingly, Andorra itself produced nothing and still produces nothing. Hmm? Well, I, that's another story, and in fact, it's a funny story in a way, but which we probably wrote we shouldn't go down because, in fact, that um, export, if we can call it that, was 
really not worth much. I think it may have been 50 or even 100 years ago. I think it might have been significant. By 2006, by the 21st century, it was, it was really totally unimportant. So other than that, every single thing in Andorra had to be imported. And so one and a half or 2% was little enough to pay. But what we're talking about here is, for the purposes of this talk, is personal taxation. And I think, <laughs> I think you are probably struggling, Alvar, to imagine a, a regime, any country, any state, even in the 21st century, that had zero taxation. But it's a fact. It's not the case now. We won't go into the, into the situation now because it's, it has changed. I can't give you the exact figures, and it's changing as we speak. You know, but there is now income tax, there is VAT, and of course, as you know, as well as I do, Alvar, as soon as a state starts taxing, then, of course, they get a taste for it, and they never stop, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And that's what will happen in Andorra. So I'm afraid. Just to give a few numbers, now Andorra has a 10% income tax. There's a few. Um, there's capital gains on certain assets. Uh, there's no interest or dividend, but there is VAT. Is that correct? I think small VAT. A small yeah. VAT. So it's still pretty good, but obviously these things keep changing. But that's still in comparison to all the other European countries, the UK with its what is it, 15? Oh, well, actually, the basic income rate. Tax still tax you over on dividends. The Netherlands with uh, tax rates up to 52% uh, on personal income, 15% on dividends. France and Spain even higher. It, it might not be as great and as good as it was in the past, but it's still extremely lucrative for the listeners of this podcast because everybody here in the end, most of us have a good job. We earn money and in the end, we want to save as much of that as possible and we can, you know, try to live cheaply, invest wisely, but in the end, tax is an enormous part of the money we actually spend in the end. It's money we earn and the government comes up with like, hey, please give me 30% of this. And if there's any way we can legally get around that without having to invest 10 years of our lives in research, then that's extremely interesting. And nowadays within the five movements sort of financial independence, Europe movement, what lots of people do, They've got their job, they earn money, they save a lot. And then like, what's next? They retire and they uh, just live their life. But if you combine this way of living with that, there are ways of actually getting um, there a lot faster and maybe also more efficient with uh, less taxation and less stress on yourself and your family in the end. Because, you know, let's say you earn yourself three, 400K and you want to go live in Spain or Portugal or France, but France is like, hey, you know, Nice and all good that you have 400k, but we're going to tax you 30% on every euro you will earn on dividends and capital gains. And in the end, you know, that will really affect your retirement and quality of life. It's simply less money to live the good life. So from that perspective, I find this extremely interesting also. Uh, not yet, but long-term worthwhile for myself to research on. This is absolutely right. And I'm interested to hear from you exactly what you're saying, which I hear from Araminta. I know the problem that you're faced with. And I say to her and her brother, and I, I say hear. to you, and I say to your listeners, more or less summing up what you've said, you must never 
never, never pay more tax than you have to. In other words, and you could put it another way, the corollary of that is you pay as little as you possibly can legally with no conscience whatsoever. Okay, well, I, I have one actual question, maybe for, for the listeners to uh, understand a bit more. There's different types of residences in Andorra, and there's different requirements to enter. Mm -hmm. What was the one? You said you had passive residence. Like, what yes. if I, for example, I love this sound of income tax, uh, no income tax, sorry, and no capital gains and all that. And I think, okay, well, I want to move to Andorra. What are the kind of things that I need? I, I want to go there and I want to get a job because at my yeah. age, obviously, I don't have that many assets. So I want to go there and get a job. What, what, am, what should I be looking for? What kind of, are they, do I need to pay anything or yeah. how does it work? Yes, you have. That seems to have changed very little. The first thing you have to do is as a non-Andoran, as they call themselves, you have to apply the only sort of residence you can have is passive residence. Although if you have stayed there then for, I think it's 18 years or something, you can become, a, you can go on the electoral register and become a voter. But we're talking about passive residence here in its early stages. You apply for passive residence and you have to pay for the first person must pay something like a deposit of 50,000 euros against which you will get no interest. Uh, and they will keep that money and you will only get it back when you decide, if you decide to leave, but they'll, you'll get it back in full then. Then you have to pay, if you have a, a dependence, you have to pay a much smaller figure for each of these. Then you have to demonstrate, uh, and this I think, this is where I can't give you the figures now uh, because that's changed tremendously, but you have to demonstrate assets usually in the form of an income stream of a certain minimum amount. And that's changed. It used to be uh, something that was related to the average wage, I think, mm -hmm. of something. And it was a multiple of that, 10 times or 20 times that or something. I can't remember. But the figure, it, that has all changed now. And I can't tell you what the latest is. So you have to satisfy that as well. So it, it's not difficult, uh, except that you have to have these minimum funds, interesting. which, of course, I suppose a deposit of 50,000 plus so much, 10 or 12 for each dependent, might not be possible for certain, certain people. So, but then many countries demand these levels of deposit or whatever or, or, or evidence of worth for obvious reasons. They don't want people coming into their countries who are, who are destitute. Just to sh uh, slowly finish up the last question of today, um, did this all benefit you in the end, uh, going through this whole process, investing all this money in the deposit and the time for yourself? Did the effort and the tax saving, was it worth it? <laughs> well, in my particular circumstances, initially, of course, it did. But in the end, it didn't, actually, because there were a succession of disasters which we needn't go into now, <laughs> which meant that in the end, the, the, the resources and assets that I was seeking to shelter no longer existed. So it, the whole thing became rather, well, you could call it a joke, although I didn't think it was a joke at the time or even now, but it was, it was ironic. 
that all the effort that had gone into that, in fact, then came to nothing because the assets then evaporated for one reason or another. And so none of these taxes applied or do apply. However, in spite of that, I not for a moment have regretted that we did it. In almost every other respect, it was a good move. Yeah, and just just to clarify, uh, when when my dad says that they no longer exist, those assets, it was just like a stock market um, crash, like everything. Uh, We talk a lot about this on the podcast. You know, it's risky. It's um, you have to know what you're doing, and that's why we always talk about ETFs. But my dad basically was invested in a certain stock, and it went up, and then it crashed, and what you lost all your money, and it's it's something that happens, and it's Mm -hmm. yeah, it's 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 painful, but that's what happened. Yeah, if anyone's curious, I think we can learn from your mistakes. I don't think it's something to be ashamed of. Well, have, um, you have to learn from mistakes. You have to learn from them. And and it's it's painful that, that my dad lost all these assets, but but I have been able to learn so much from it and everyone listening to this episode also. So there you go. <laughs> I think it's an amazing story. So, Joke, like given um, everything that has happened since, would you recommend others to do this? Well, as I said earlier on, things have changed, but in essence, not compared with other tax regimes, as as Araminta has already spelled out, this is still, by any comparison, an extremely benign tax regime compared with any other European country. It's, it, we do, one thing we didn't mention is that Andorra is not its European country, but it's not within the EU. And uh, I would like to hope that it stays outside it. But as to the question, would you recommend it to others? The answer to that is yes, provided that your circumstances are sort of roughly similar to mine. It's not for everybody, Andorra. I have to say it's, it's not the most exciting place in the world. It's up in the mountains. It's really high in the mountains, 12, 1,200 meters it's very small. There is very little goes on there. But if you like skiing and you like walking and climbing and you don't have to have uh, nightclubs on your doorstep and all these things, then it's fine. One huge, massive plus uh, when you, in answering this question is that it is the safest, it has to be the safest place in Europe. It's what I call a benign police state. And you can make of that what you like, but the police actually look after you. There is zero crime. There is no crime. Children can walk to school. They can walk up into the mountains if they want. They can go everywhere they like on their bikes and so on. It is so safe. Wonderful. I think I remember, yeah, we used to leave our our car doors unlocked when we would go to the supermarket. No one cares. Yes. Yeah. The only time I've ever heard that before is in New Zealand, in the middle of nowhere, on a farm where yeah. I worked for a couple of months. That's the only place I've ever been where people did that. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. The people are extremely nice. They're shy. They're, they're, I wouldn't describe them as hospitable, but they're not inhospitable, if you understand what I mean. Very nice people and very, very um, pragmatic, like mountain people. Old-fashioned and conservative, which, of course, I have to say was something that appealed immensely to me. So, I don't have to call you Papa or Jock, it's a bit weird for me, but 
Papa, what is one resource not well known that you would recommend to others to learn about finance or geo arbitrage, what you did basically? For me to answer that question, uh, and we've had this conversation, uh, we have to go back, you know, all these years to where the only source of information was got from accountants and brokers. And I was extremely lucky in my early years to have a quite exceptional accountant and a lawyer for that matter okay, and a broker. But that doesn't work for like a listener. But, uh, that was, be... That's what I'm saying. Okay. Was, well, this is my personal experience. And it, it was upon these people I relied. And I suppose from these people that I learned. And if you say today, yeah. well, of course, I just go straight on the net. You see, this is mm. the thing. And I, I listen to all sorts of people. And um, there's one person that you. All right. Well, okay. If you want a name, yes, Ambrose Evans Pritchard in the Telegraph, okay. the Daily Telegraph. Perfect. Thank you. And then the last question of today: What is the number one actionable tip you would give to somebody who's looking to become financially independent to learn about finance? What is like the one little, little nugget that could help them in amazing ways in their life? A little device, let's call it that I've always employed, and I've talked to Araminta about, she doesn't employ it, but she's got her own ways of doing this. And, it's, and, and this, is, this may be an outmoded term now, but I call it cash flow management. And I dare say that sums up all the things that Araminta and Financially Mint and you, Alvar, uh, with, with FI, are trying to uh, promulgate to your users. Cash flow management is... Is it's everything. It's budgeting, it's saving, it's making sure that you always have the resources to pay your needs and debts and so on. Uh, and it's not a complicated thing to do, but it's a, it's a complete and total insurance. If you, have, if you run tight cash flow management, you simply can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. You just can't. And it's much easier to do it now because you've got everything online. You've got your bank statements online. You can look them up 10 times a day if you want to. Uh, I check them every day and all the other things that, you know, so that, that are coming into your account and going out of your account. It's very easy to monitor it. And that would be my, that's the, the one thing I would say. That if you do that, you can't go wrong. Perfect. I totally agree with that. And uh, I do it in my own uh more modern ways, I guess, with, with with apps and stuff, and probably you too, Alvar. Yeah, correct. I've got a, a semi-dedicated system running with Excel spreadsheets and websites uh, that give me automated overviews of everything that's happening in my, uh, well, I believe close to 30 bank accounts. Oh, wow. Yes, but you, I mean, you, you're what I call cash flow management is probably far more sophisticated than mine, and, and, and I admit this as well. I mean, you've probably got you're doing things that I wouldn't have dreamt of at yeah. your age. But we have to. We have lived in so many countries. We deal with so many currencies. We we um, hire people abroad. We get paid from uh, employers from abroad. Um, we simply have to deal in those ways. Otherwise, we can't live the lives we want. Exactly. Yeah. Totally agree. Also, this has been uh, very interesting. And uh, it's been quite quite uh, pretty cool. I was just telling my dad earlier today that... Uh, it's not every not every daughter can have their dad on their own podcast. So it's been very <laughs> exciting to be able to say that and to have that. And uh, 
And for so many people to be able to listen to this, I think it's it's very it's really amazing. I don't know what you think, Alvar. If I'm a bit crazy, the pleasure for me as well. I may say. Yeah, it's very. I completely agree with that, and I wish I had parents who were able to explain things in terms of finance and such ways. So, Joe, thank you so much, and um, yeah, you gave us a great explanation. Thank you, Alvar. Good to meet you. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Five Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe Podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe Podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.